Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Mayhem in the Mid-South. It's going to be episode 10, Bloody Lester Street, part 5. Armstrong played the tape recording of C.J. stating that he had been stabbed by his uncle, Junior. According to Armstrong, the defendant became visibly upset and appeared as if he was about to cry. The defendant told Armstrong that he and Cecil went somewhere to get a gun, began arguing, and continued to argue during the drive back to Cecil's house. Defendant said that when they returned to Cecil's home, the argument escalated. When Cecil reached for a shotgun, the defendant began shooting using both his gun and Miss Williams' gun. Defendant said that he then attempted to get rid of the children because they had seen him. Defendant stated that he had stuck them using the knives from the kitchen drawer. According to Armstrong, the defendant began to cry and appeared as if he had gotten the weight of the world off his shoulders. But it was almost like I'm defeated. Armstrong testified that when he began to question the defendant in greater detail about what had occurred in the house, Using his knowledge of the crime scene to frame the questions, the defendant asked for an attorney and the interview ceased. Ceased. The defendant also asked to speak with his mother, Priscilla Shaw. Now, this is always a tricky thing when you uh, let relatives come into an interview room. That's generally something you don't do. The only two ways you'll do it is, one, you can't get anything out of them. In this case, they've already gotten a enough of a confession that they're in pretty good shape. Now, the other way you might use it is if you think that relative just might get them to tell a lot of things that you're not going to get on your own by questioning them. You have to remember, too, his mother, Priscilla Shaw, she's not an attorney. That means there's not a right to privacy with the mama. And the mama can testify, be compelled to testify. During the early morning hours of March 8th, officers went to the safe house where Miss Shaw was in protective custody with other family members. And she was informed that her son, the defendant, wanted to see her. And the police drove her to 201 Poplar. Now when she arrived, she went into the room and spoke to the defendant. No one else was in the room. She took the defendant's hand and asked him what was happening. She asked if the police were trying to put it on him. Now at first, Junior didn't say anything. 
Then he looked up at his mama and he said, I did it. And then she asked him, why the babies? The defendant said that they had seen him. He explained and then he went on to talk about him and Cecil had been arguing all day and Cecil had a gun. Miss Shaw asked the defendant if Cecil had pointed the gun. The defendant said that Cecil did not, but was just talking and swinging it. When Cecil put the gun down, the defendant said he began shooting. The defendant said that he later rode a bicycle away from the scene to the home of his girlfriend, Miss Jones. His mama asked him again, why the kids? And he said, again, they saw me. And then she asked, what about the baby? But the baby, why the baby? And he didn't say anything, he just shook his head. And then Mama, she got up, told Junior, I love you, and she left the room. So now you've got the defendant has confessed to Lieutenant Armstrong and to his mama. And his mama can testify against him. Now he didn't at any time say that anyone else assisted him in the crime. Now when the trial got started, CJ took the stand to testify. CJ was a star witness. Because the confessions are nice, and the mama saying her son confessed is, is nice, but to have a real live bona fide surviving witness is what you want. CJ said that at the time of time he was there in the trial, he was in the fifth grade. He said that in his bedroom he slept on the top bunk bed and his brothers Cedric and Samario slept on the bottom bunk. His older sister had the other bedroom and his parents' bedroom was in the back of the house. CJ said on the night of the attack he was watching television in his sister's room because the television in his room was not working. CJ heard a gunshot and walked out of his sister's room and into the hallway. C.J. said he peeked into the living room and saw the defendant pointing a gun at Cecil. He saw some smoke and sparks come out of the gun. The defendant was pointing a gun at Cecil's face, who did not say anything. C.J. said, I was looking, and when I saw sparks out of the gun, I looked down on the ground, and I saw Dude on the floor. C.J. said Dude was wearing a black shirt and black pants. C.J. testified he heard another gunshot and peeked through the door. He walked into the hallway and saw the defendant, his uncle Junior, shooting at a woman who was on the arm of the couch. He did not know who the woman was. The woman told the defendant that she loved him, but he just kept on shooting. C.J. said he then returned to his sister's room and sat down on the bed. He heard footsteps coming down the door, turned and saw the defendant holding a handheld knife, as he put it. 
C.J. described the knife as the type that opens and closes. He said the defendant cut him on the neck, and he told the defendant he loved him, but the defendant replied, no, you don't. C.J. then lay down on the bed, and Cecil II began crying. The defendant told Cecil II, don't worry about it, you ain't going to get hurt. C.J. testified that he tried to retrieve the telephone from the hallway to call the police. He saw the defendant's feet in the doorway, and the defendant asked him what he was doing. When he said he was going to call the police, the defendant said that if he did, he would kill C.J.'s parents and Cecil's friends. C.J. said he asked the defendant if he could use the restroom and noticed that the defendant had a kitchen knife in his hand. He said the defendant made him put his head in the tub. The defendant then tried to stab him in the chest, but he put his hand up to block the blow and the knife went into his head instead. C.J. said he saw his mother, Miss Williams, in the doorway saying that she did not want to die. The defendant asked her for Cecil's cell phone and car keys and Miss Williams replied that the keys likely were in Cecil's car. The defendant then said, sorry because I ain't let your husband or your husband's friends get away with it and the kids. CJ then heard a huge fall on the ground. CJ testified that he next saw the defendant walking in the hallway with a garbage bag and another kitchen knife. The defendant went into the bedroom of CJ's sister and CJ heard someone yelling and the defendant saying, shut up. CJ then heard Samario asked to use the restroom and saw blood dripping from Samario's head onto the rim of the toilet seat. He said Samario asked the defendant if he could return to his room and the defendant said that he could. Next, the defendant went into the kitchen, grabbed another knife, and entered the bedroom of CJ and his brothers. CJ said he saw Samario lying on the bed and the defendant stabbed Samario, who then fell on the floor. CJ said he heard rambling in the hallway near the laundry room as if the defendant was attempting to move something out of the way. CJ then said he fell asleep in the bathtub. CJ testified that when he awoke, he saw firemen in his bedroom looking at Samario. One of the firemen came into the bathroom and got CJ out of the bathtub. CJ remembers being transported to the hospital by ambulance. He said no one was with the defendant during the attacks and the defendant acted alone. Now, CJ also testified to something else. He said on that the, the night that the bad thing happened, a woman named Cassandra knocked on the door, talking about the front door, said that she needed to use the restroom. She and some other people, including a man with a mask on, with a little bit of blood on it, entered the house. CJ had never seen the man before and said that Cecil called him Roderick, which those are the names that Cecil had screamed out when he was at the hospital and they were trying to figure out who they were. C.J. did not recall who allowed Roderick to enter the house. He acknowledged, however, that he told Miss Pat that Cecil allowed Roderick to enter the house and that he was mad at Cecil for doing so. C.J. testified that Roderick said something to Cecil about the gang and also told Cecil, you got too big, boy. 
Roderick fired a gun at Cecil and said, never stop playing with the gang. You never know what would happen, boy. Now, after everything is said and done with the trial, jury convicted Junior Jesse Dotson six counts of premeditated first-degree murder for killing his brother, three other adults, and two of his brother's minor sons. Jerry also convicted the defendant of three counts of attempted first-degree murder for attacking with kitchen knives and wooden boards three more of his brother's minor children who were also present in the home. At the conclusion of the penalty phase of the trial, the jury imposed death sentences for the six first-degree murder convictions, finding that the multiple aggravating circumstances applicable to each conviction outweighed the mitigating circumstances beyond a reasonable doubt. At a separate sentencing hearing on the attempted first-degree murder convictions, the trial court classified the defendant as a range two multiple offender, imposed a 40-year sentence for each conviction, and ordered these sentences served consecutively, which is good, that's what you want, to each other and to the death sentences. Now, as of this writing, Jesse Dotson's still on death row at River Bend Maximum Security Prison in Nashville, Tennessee. What, what a shock that his death sentence hasn't been carried out.